Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace be upon you all and welcome to today's Drive Time Show with myself, Saad Ahmed, and my co-presenter, Noshirwan Ahmed. Today's topics in discussion in the first hour will be Old Age, A Long and Lonely Journey. And in the second hour, we will be speaking about the promised reformer, about the prophecy and its fulfillment. But before all of this, I would like to welcome Noshirwan to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. How are you, first of all? Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you too, Saad. Alhamdulillah, uh, by the grace of Allah, I'm well. How are you doing today? Not bad, Zakla, for asking. You know, the, the topics today are very um, unique uh, because today is the 20th February and in 1886, 20th February, an announcement was given about a prophecy that there will be a promised reformer by the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian, um, upon whom be peace. And we will be speaking about this in the second hour. But I want our listeners to go on Instagram and if they can type away the answer, when did Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed, may Allah, be, um, uh, may Allah be, be pleased with him, became a Khalifa? A, was it the 14th May 1908? B, 27th May 1908? 14th May 1914? 27th May 19. 14. Now, bringing it back to f- the first hour, the, the topic is old age, a long and lonely journey. And the introduction, I will just give a, f- a quick um, overview what we what we will be speaking about. So, the, the question is, the, um, the life expectancy in comparison to over 100 years ago has more than doubled. Across the world, people are living, you know, for a longer um, time than they used to over 100 years ago. In 1900, the average life expectancy of a newborn was 32 years. By 2021, this has more than doubled to 71 years of age. As people live longer, do they also experience a fulfilling social life in old age? Hundreds of thousands of elderly people are lonely and cut off from society in this country, especially those over the age of 75. According to the Age UK, more than 2 million people in England over the age of 75 live alone and more than a million older people say they go over a month without speaking to a friend, neighbour or family member. How does this affect their mental well-being. So join us today as we discuss the reasons why elderly people can become socially um, isolated. So if you look at um, yes. the figures etc uh, like especially in the UK like 3.6 million older people they live alone and out of them over 2 million people of people are aged 75 and above um, and also 1.9 million older people they often feel that they are ignored or they're invisible um, that may be the case for many other many reasons uh, why they feel that maybe mm-hmm. they don't have family that are, is able to look after them or maybe they do not have children um, themselves but did you know that loneliness can be harmful for our health how come it's it's interesting uh, because the world health organization um, has declared loneliness to be a pressing global health threat um, and with the u.s surgeon general 
saying that its mortality effects are equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. That is quite alarming, isn't Obviously, it? Obviously, and when we look at old age and loneliness, not sure from, you know, loneliness has many different causes and it can be affect, you know, can affect people of all ages. You know, most people feel lonely at some points of their life. It is deeply personal experience that in most cases will thankfully pass. Um, most cases will, will thankfully pass over time, but. For a growing number of people, you know, especially and when people reach the older age, loneliness can define their lives and have a significant impact on their well-being. You know, it is often linked with things that could prevent you spending time with other people, such as you know, living or working alone, retirement, illness or disability, bereavement, uh, moving to a new area, job, school, university, social anxiety or social phobia. You know, one thing I want to mention. When we go towards you know loneliness, but just sticking to um to the old older elderly people, you know Islam has emphasized many times to look out for the elderly. You know, and the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said, he is not of one of us who does not show mercy on the young children, and who does not honor the elderly. So the Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Did not just say look after the elderly, but also the after look after the young generation at the same time. So you should honor the young um, young generation and look out for you know the elderly people. And there are many different narrations out there. I'll mention one more. You know, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu said, "He um, is not one of us who does not show mercy to our young um, young ones and esteem to our elderly." And then we can we can even go further than uh, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu said. It is one of the gravest sins to curse one's parents. They asked, O Prophet of Allah, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, how does one curse one's parent? So, so Hazur, um, the Holy Prophet replied so beautifully saying, you know, the one abuses the father of someone and then in the retaliation, that person will um, abuse your father, your mother, mother and so on and so forth. This hence how um, you, um, how your um, uh, curse one's parents when you curse someone else's mm-hmm. they will curse your father and your mother at the same time and even they might even go further than that so Hazur the <coughs> Prophet ﷺ, has always shown that show mercy t- towards young ones and look out for the elderly yeah and I, I think this t- teaching of Islam is, is very beautiful and very important as well where when we look out for children and uh, obviously respect them mm-hmm. the same goes uh, with people that are of elderly age um, and it's just something that if we all adopt um, we can have a more harmonious and a better society as a whole and it doesn't matter whether they are your relatives or family members but it's just in general um, a teaching of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him that we must uh, treat our elderly with respect with honour and give them uh, the respect that they they are due that they are in need of Um, and of course even in the Quran even with your parents you should obviously parents if they say anything to you or if, even if they be harsh towards you you cannot even retaliate with saying anything of oof. of even off which yes. is basically means just even the slightest of sounds right so this is the teaching that islam gives regarding how to teach or how to treat your parents and the elderly okay. uh, but obviously moving on we were talking about we were talking about loneliness yes. and how that is a huge factor uh, just within the uk even um, and how that can lead to further illnesses and obviously is equivalent to other health factors. So just looking at the health effects of this social isolation and loneliness, uh, according to a psychiatrist uh, in a general hospital, 
Loneliness kills. It's as almost powerful as smoking or alcohol- alcoholism, right? And research has linked that social isolation and loneliness to higher risk for a variety of physical and mental conditions, such as like high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, a weakened immune system, uh, anxiety and depression, uh, cognitive decline, and Alzheimer's disease, and even death. Like to that extent, mm-hmm. it can literally take your life. Of course. Um, and so a large uh, body of research shows that social isolation and loneliness have a serious impact on physical and mental health, the quality of life, and longevity. The effect of social isolation and loneliness on mor- mortality is comparable to that of other well-established risk factors, such as smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. And that's why you know the, the importance of having a community on coping with loneliness. You know, a study was done by T. H. Chan um, Schools of Public Health at Harvard, um, looking at whether loneliness or social isolation are equal threats to health and well-being. And according to the one of the authors of the study, Professor Tyler, you know, said you know, trends over the past several decades show less com- um, community participation and more people living alone. Before I go, um, go on further into that research, just um, looking at our own community, the, the Ahmadi Muslim um, Association, we have such a um, close, um, very uh, um, very beautiful community where if you have a youth coordinator, you have a president of a local um, branch, and you have different um, um, presidents, one for the, um, for, the, for the Women's Association, and if one has any kind of trouble, there's a network of people you can contact straight away and ask um, for help, and the help will be provided, and and this is what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community does within the community and also outside the community where we go. You know, especially the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association tries to level best to go to different um, care homes to speak with the elderly, go to um, um, homeless shelters and, and speak to those uh, members there and uh, um, just just speak with them. And it, this copes, um, this helps them you know, cope with yep. whatever they're going through. As mentioned before, you know that they, they go months sometimes without speaking to a neighbor, a loved one, or even a family relative. So the community of the, the Ahmadi Muslim community tries, you know, to play some part to help help and uplift our society. And just further on going to, with the study, you know, the study showed that religious services um, attendance has fallen dramatically. And marriage rates are um, going down slowly and steadily. And we'll carry on with this um, um, s- um, study further on. But we have with us our very first guest, Ruth. And she is the head of Loneliness Service Age UK. Ruth has been an, involved in delivering Age UK's National Loneliness Services for nearly nine years. And in her current role as um, our head of Loneliness Service, um, is responsible both for our Silver Line helpline and 24 hours, uh, 24/7 helpline that provides a friendly chat to lonely um, older people any time of the day or night, and also Age UK's telephone and um, friendship service, where we match older people with a volunteer for a regular weekly befriending course. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome her to the show. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on, on such a, a important topic about you know loneliness and especially 
um, f- when it comes around our elders. So um, we want to ask, what are the health impacts of loneliness on a person, uh, be it physically or mental? Yeah, so um, the impacts of loneliness on an individual can be really huge and it won't look exactly the same for any two people, but we do know there are some common ways it does tend to manifest. So loneliness is not a mental health condition, but it has a real impact on mental health. So Mm -hmm. loneliness is connected with cognitive decline, memory loss and depression, and it also has a serious impact on physical health. We know it's as harmful for our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Um, it brings up lots of negative thoughts and feelings, so it can really cause a lot of self-doubt and feelings of hopelessness. And when someone is experiencing long-term loneliness, they're more likely to stop taking care of themselves and their home, and they may misuse drugs or alcohol, which obviously impacts upon health. And when people become chronically lonely, they can then find themselves really trapped in a vicious circle of loneliness. Because they're lonely, their physical and mental health deteriorates, which means it's harder to get out and form connections, and then they become even more lonely. So people can just become trapped in these these cycles. And we know that loneliness in particular is a really huge issue for older people, Mm -hmm. with nearly one million older people across the UK often feeling lonely. So here at Age UK, we're calling on the public for their support this winter through our Spread the Warmth campaign so we can continue to be here to provide vital services for older people who are feeling lonely. Perfect. And also, you know, from your experience um, working in in the loneliness services, what would mm-hmm. your um, advice be to all those, you know, who have um, elder, elderly members yeah. in their family and how can they support their family members? Yeah, so I would say look out for signs that someone might be lonely. So have they recently, you know, lost a partner, been through a big life change? Have there been any changes in their behaviour or mood or do they seem to have lost their, their confidence or be closing themselves off from you? So you can look out for the signs that someone might be lonely. And then the next step mm-hmm. is having an open conversation. So a lot of older people feel a lot of stigma around admitting they're lonely. They can be worried that they'll be judged. But if other people are willing to have that conversation and just open up and ask them how they're feeling, it can make that a little bit more natural and make them feel a bit better about that. So sometimes it is just about having that conversation. And we know that then the key to tackling loneliness is helping someone to form meaningful relationships and connections. So Social interaction is vital for tackling loneliness, but somebody needs to have meaningful interactions to really have an impact upon their their feelings of loneliness. So I would say ask your older relatives what they'd like to do. Try and empower them to talk about what changes they might like to, to try and do. Give them gentle encouragement and support and don't try and push them to make big steps before they're ready. Um, and it can also be really useful for someone to speak to someone outside of their family. So they might want to talk to their GP, a carer or a friend, or they can speak to us here at Age UK. So we've got services like our 24-hour Silverline helpline where an mm-hmm. older person can call free day or night for a chat. Um, we also have a network of around 125 local Age UK partners who host things like lunch clubs, walking football. So please encourage them to contact Age UK as well. We are here to help them. Uh, Ruth, just picking up from that, um, what is something that has personally impacted you through your work um, that you have taken on and incorporated into your own life? Mm. Yeah, so um, I love the work I do at Age UK and I've learned so much from speaking directly with older people over the years that I've been here. And I think one thing I've really taken that a lot of people find hard to understand is how invisible and how lonely a lot of older people feel. And it's quite hard to put yourself in the shoes of someone 
who doesn't have anyone to speak to to share their thoughts and their feelings with and when somebody feels excluded from the world like that they can really start to feel like they don't don't even exist but what I've learned and seen from my work at AGK what I see every day is the power of human connection so we speak to older people who sometimes haven't spoken to anyone else in days and they think no one's going to be interested in what they have to say and once someone takes the time to speak to them and listen to them over time they can become a different person and the impact they can have on that that their lives can be absolutely huge you know on our telephone friendship service where we match older people with a volunteer to have a regular chat once a week you can actually hear people's confidence grow as they develop and build that friendship so what i take into my personal life is how much it means for us all to be kind and to to take the time to check in on an older neighbor or speak to someone in the, the shops you know you don't know how much that small interaction, those little connections can really make a big difference to someone who feels lonely. Yep, and just lastly, you know, obviously some people that haven't reached the old age yet, but they can themselves feel, they can suffer with loneliness just because they don't have anyone. So what would your advice be for them? And are there any communities or resources they can reach out to? Yeah, so, um, I mean, one really great thing, um, a great way to form connections is to consider volunteering in your your local community so you could volunteer for age uk or another charity or community group that can be such a great way to give yourself purpose and value and make new friends and learn new skills so i think if you if you are able to give time that is a really great way to form connections um i'd once again tell someone how you're feeling so you know we often keep these feelings to ourselves but sometimes just saying it out loud and telling someone how you're feeling and recognising the impact loneliness is having on you can really help. So reach out to a friend, a colleague, or maybe your GP. And I'd say be proactive about trying to form those connections. So set yourself small, manageable targets. So, you know, if you're working, you might want to plan an event at work or think about starting a book uh, book group or a social group outside of work. There's great things on Facebook and other things to look for community groups, clubs or activities. So don't overwhelm yourself. Think about a small step you could take. And sometimes it is about putting yourself out there and you'd be surprised how many people feel the same as you. You know, lots of people experience loneliness. It's completely natural. And just think about things that you would like to do. Take those small steps to try try and form those connections. And once you do, it gets easier and easier as your confidence grows. Great. Thank you, Ruth, for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on our show and thank you for sharing the advices. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you once again. I, I closed our microphone. <laughs> no was, worries. So this was Ruth, and um, who's um, the head of Loneliness Services um, Age UK. And it was really beautiful the advice she gave, especially for um, the last one with the question you asked about who hasn't reached the old age yet, and for them just taking small steps and mm-hmm. reaching out and um, yeah, because it's hard, obviously be loneliness is not uh, limited to, to, to age, age factor rather, Correct. right? Even a young kid can feel lonely when he's not given the love or support or the care he needs. He can feel lonely. Um, and very interesting, she said uh, about volunteering. And you've, we were mentioning previously as well uh, how our youth organisation, they, they're always volunteering and they all always need more and more volunteers Correct. to go to these uh, old care homes, to go out and help the homeless. And I think we, in, th- in our society... And to make our society better, we need to uh, be trying to volunteer as much as we can. Although it might be a little, li- you can take short steps, little steps, um, maybe dedicate 
a, a day uh, of the month, perhaps the weekend if it's more suitable to you. And just basically dedicate that time to go out, look out for your neighbours, to go look out um, to your elder relatives. And you know, that that small change, small step, it can go a long way. Correct. Well, that's why, you know, in the Holy Quran, when we look, there are different... Um, Verses, as you've mentioned, one from chapter seventeen. You can't, you cannot even say, that a, a, make a sound if your parents have asked you for something. The, the word is uff, which is used in the Holy Quran. Likewise, in in different um, chapters of the Holy Quran, it is mentioned, for example, um, in the second chapter, they ask you, O oh Muhammad, you know, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, what they should spend. Say whatever you spend of good. Um, is to be for parents, relatives, and orphans, and the needy, and the traveller. And whatever you do of good, indeed, Allah is knowing of, of it all. So, what whatever you spend for your parents, for the travellers, for the needy, for the orphans, and this, when whatever you do, Allah is all aware about it. So, and there are many in other verses in the Holy Quran also, and that, you know, to speak about you know, looking out for... Um, um, the people around you, for example, um, in chapter four it says, "Worship Allah and, and associate nothing with Him." And to parents, do good, and to relatives, orphans, the needy, the near neighbor, the neighbor further away, the companion at your side, the traveler, and those whom your right hand possesses. Indeed, Allah does not like those who are self-deluding and boastful. And that's uh, that's mentioned in chapter four, um, um, which is Surah Nisa. You know, Allah, Allah the Almighty has been mentioning over and over again that you know, be uh, good to your parents, look out for the needy people, look out for the orphans. If, uh, Allah the Almighty does this that even the neighbors who are close to you and the neighbors who are far further than you, you should look out for them. There might be a, a neighbor who is an elderly person living close by to you. you should go and say uh, um, salam, uh, um, say the peace. Uh, uh, peace be upon you, and, and just just have a small conversation with them. They might be um, looking um, for someone just to talk to. Yep. Um, I know, for example, that in, in in my own family, for example, we, um, um, when someone has some someone reaches oldest, the, the care they need is immense. Yep. The especially um, when um, one of my relatives they had um, dementia, the care they needed. It, it was not just okay, just one hour, but it was twenty four seven, constantly looking out for them, making sure they're safe, making sure they're fed, making sure they're they're well um, clean, because at that time, at that age especially, um, they were plus ninety, and yeah. they were making. They didn't know what they um, what what they were doing. For example, yeah. they started praying and 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 forgot they were praying, and they started again praying. And after some time, oh, did, did I did I even pray? We used to go. Yes, you you did pray, yeah. and and like okay, that's fine. You because you told told me I prayed. That means I have prayed. So the care they need is immense. So when someone reaches old age, you know, that's what Lord Almighty has been mentioning over and over again. Like with the Prophet Sallallahu peace and blessings, Allah be upon him, has been mentioning um, in numerous narrations that look out for the young ones because they're the next generation, and look out for the elders one because they were the ones who were looking out for you yep. when you were young. The same case with your parents, right? Correct. And you know, so like community, it holds great importance in yes. Islam. Um, she's speaking about the same uh, topic and subject, like how we are together in a community and how we behave towards one another. Islam has um, played great emphasis in regards to that. Of course. And it's like integral to Islam's teaching itself. 
You know, the significance of community in Islam is emphasized in various ways, uh, reflecting the communal nature of the religion. I know Islam also places a strong emphasis on social justice and also the well-being of the community. That's why Muslims, they are encouraged to be socially responsible and help those in need, regardless of their age, their gender, etc., or whatever religion they belong to. And also to contribute to the welfare of the society at large. And acts of charity, which mostly Muslims are given importance to, we're told to give charity. Correct. And of course, be, uh, kindness is, is something that is um, applicable to everyone. And community service are highly valued in Islamic teachings. Correct. And obviously then we talk about uh, congregation, congregational prayers, as, uh, which is also known as salah or salat. And that is also highly encouraged in Islam for several reasons because it, it emphasizes the importance of unity, community and spiritual discipline. Because when, when we come to the mosque together as a community, we're standing in rows like, side by side, praying together as a form of unity. And of course, you know, when you go to the mosque, you'll see uh, old people, you'll see... Uh, and of course, you get a chance. That's also another way where you can obviously, if you feel that this old person, he comes to the mosque every day, but mostly by himself or he f- you may feel that um, he might be a bit lonely that's your chance to go and speak to him Correct. and just get to know them and if they need any anything in their household or obviously you build that relation with them yes you know speaking with elders you know when you speak with them the history you find out from them because they have lived such a, a great life so um, such a long life that they have seen the world change and when you, when when you speak with them and they're like, okay, you know this TV, for example, just just a small example. There was no TV first; mm-hmm. it was a radio, or it was that first, and then this happened, and then a color TV came, and especially you know, and for example, in 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 the Asian and in Pakistan, for example, one um, house used to have a TV or television, and the whole community used to come together, and they used to sit down and watch, for example, a cricket match or and or any other programs so that was um, when you listen when you sit down with them and they share their story you just you understand okay this is how their life used to be and when you look okay our lives are totally um, different now because everyone has for example a smartphone like the TV is is on the hand on the palm yeah not just in terms of electronics obviously we've developed in the last two decades uh, quite significantly right in terms of technology but our elders, they've been through, they lived through these wars that have happened, right? Yes. And obviously, they lived through, especially for us as uh, Ahmadi Muslims, they lived through the progress of, of, our, of our community. Of course. Obviously, speaking to them, knowing how the circumstances were 50 years ago or so, it's just inspirational and, of course, it's faith-inspiring course, at the same time. We'll pick up this topic um, after our next guest who, who we have with us, Louise. Um, she has been working as a registered nurse in the NHS for just over 13 years and qualified as an advanced clinic uh, clinical practitioner 18 months ago. Initially, she started her career in A&E and then moved to um, COCH as a nurse practitioner and in which was in 2016 and in 2019 she helped mobilize the Barnet care home team and then in 2022 the community um, frility team um with a short introduction i would like to welcome her to show assalamu alaikum peace be upon you how are you louise 
Oh, hi. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Luis, if you um, could tell us what are the duties and the responsibilities um, of of caring um, for an elderly person? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm from Central London Community Healthcare Trust, and mm-hmm. so we are a large community trust, um, and we provide services to more than uh, four million people across London boroughs and Hertfordshire. Yes. In the borough that I'm in, um, we have over 80 care homes and a growing elderly population. And mm-hmm. um, so we're really work, trying to work with, you know, all the stakeholders and the community to make sure our older people are active and valuable members of society. Um, so our duty and responsibility um, is really to look at the elderly per- and try and manage their care proactively and holistically. So I think holistically is used quite a lot in the NHS. Um, but what I mean by that really is to look at the person as a whole. So we often look at people just as their sort of physical health conditions. But particularly with the elderly, um, you have to take into consideration all of the other factors. So in our care home team, for example, and our frailty team, uh, anybody under our care, we do a comprehensive holistic assessment. So we do a physical assessment but we also look at every other factor that may be contributing to their health so uh, their functional ability their home environment what level of social support they have and just their general health and well-being mm-hmm. and then from that sorry. yes um Liz, um also for example if an elderly person lives with a family do we uh, do you still provide care for them just to look out for the elderly people yeah, absolutely. So we would do an assessment in partnership, really, and um, so with the service users for the person who's been referred to our team. Mm-hmm. Um, we would then, what we do is we identify key goals. So that would be either the patient's key goals, the carer's key goals, or family member, and then we would work together to develop a sensible, personalised care plan. Okay. And if you can tell us, how does, for example, your care affect the mental well-being um, of the elderly patients? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's really important and it, it's definitely very topical at the moment. So, mm-hmm. in both of our teams, we, through our holistic approach, we always look at sort of the psychological factors that may be impacting the individual. So, we do a routine depression and anxiety screen um, and then from that we can determine what level of support they might need. So that could be um, just making sure that G- the GP is aware um, and sometimes that can be onward referral to mental health services. But especially within our teams, we have an old age psychiatrist um, as part of our core team so we can refer anybody we're particularly worried about. We also have um, social prescribers from the charity HUK as part of our core team and they're able to provide support for patients who are experiencing social isolation, just making sure they're linked into local social activities um, so that they can enjoy you know, other things with community members and also they might actually benefit from a, a volunteer visiting them at home. So there's, there's quite a lot out there, it's just about knowing where to go. So, um, Liz, um, we see um, in, in today's um, world that people are living for longer and longer um, time. What steps should a person take, especially in the youth time, that will help them, you know, cope in the old, um, when they reach an um, older age? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of um, information out there. Um, I guess I would always signpost people to um, the NHS.UK Live Well website. Mm-hmm. It's got a host of resources. And I guess the advice is, is pretty general. So looking at a healthy diet and regular physical ex- exercise, uh, vitamin D supplementation, a good sleep, um, reducing alcohol intake and uh, sort of not smoking or vaping. Um, but if anyone wants any additional resources, um, there's a, quite a lot on their website. Louise, uh, what is something that has personally impacted you through your work that you do? Um, and also, how have you incorporated it into your own life? Um, yeah, so I think probably since starting to work with the elderly, it's really highlighted to me the importance of having them sort of harder conversations with your loved ones about what would they like their care to look like in the future as they get older? You know, where would they like to live? Where would they like to, you know, how would they like to be cared for? And just really kind of proactively having them conversations. So as they get older and their care needs may change, you have a plan together and, and you know what you need to advocate for as they get older. Yep, and Louis, lastly, in your own, in your professional opinion, what advice can you give to family members who care for their elderly uh, on how to take good care of their well-being? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's vitally important that carers are, you know, just as cared for. Um, so I think probably first and foremost, um, to know what carers are entitled to. Um, so that could be, you know, financially or in terms of respite options. Um, and really making sure you know what local support is available. Um, we see quite a lot of people experiencing care strain or, or care burnout, and, and often they just don't know what the local support networks um, are, that are around that are available to them. Yeah. Uh, so within Barnet, we have the Barnet Cares Assessment, and, and in CLCH, we, we make sure we incorporate that in, in all of our assessments to identify that and make sure they're plugged into the right uh, care package. Great. Thank you, Louise, for joining us today and sharing insight on uh, this topic. Thank you once again. So this was Louise, um, Clinical Service Manager Plan. Okay. Um, I just wanted to come back, you know, to to what Louise was saying about, you know, going to the um, NHS website, Live Well. And there is a five-step breakdown, for example, regarding uh, mental well-being. We'll come back to the um, the elderly side (coughs) in just a second. But I wanted to share this with with the listeners. Number one is to connect with other people. Good relationships are important for your mental well-being. They can help you to build a sense of belonging and self-worth, give you an opportunity to to share positive experiences, provide uh, emotional support and allow you to support others. So then they have the do's and don'ts. Uh, I was going to mention a couple of do's. If possible, take time each day to be with your family. For example, try and arrange a fixed time to eat dinner together. Arrange a day out with friends you haven't seen for for a while. Likewise, for the don'ts, do not just rely on technology or social media alone to build relationships. It is, um, it's easy to get into the habit of only ever texting, messaging or emailing people. And number two, for example, be um, physically active. Number three is learn new skills. Number three is give, give to others. So that means um, we, um, what NHS is saying is research suggests that 
acts of giving and kindness can help improve your mental well-being by creating positive feelings and sense of reward, giving you a fuel of purpose and self-worth, helping you connect with other people. And number five, pay attention to the present moment. Mindfulness. Paying more attention to the present moment can improve your mental well-being. This includes your thoughts and feelings, your body and the world around you. Some people call this awareness mindfulness. Mindfulness can help you enjoy life more and understand yourself better. It can positively change the way you feel about life and how you approach challenges. Um, and obviously, there are more further information NHS has been providing. And NHS does commendable work um, day in, day out. And giving us you know, some, some guidelines um, in regards um how we can keep up with our mental um, um mental health is just a small glimpse into an NHS. Yes, yeah, something very interesting to know, um, like how we have become a global village through Correct. social media, right? But uh, we've come more disconnected to our family members than we previously were. Yes, like a decade or a decade or two ago, right? Although we've we're so well connected to people from other countries, obviously able to message them, call them, uh, but now our family, close family members, we I think we're distant from them, and that's something obviously you mentioned as well. It shouldn't be just that we're messaging or contacting our elders, or our relatives through the means of our phone. Yes. Rather, obviously, we should take time out. Of course, calling them and stuff. You should still check check up on them whenever you can. But obviously, meeting them, sitting with them. Spending that time together, of course, that's the real bonding time. And that's how you obviously build a relationship on top of that. Um, So, yeah, although we're connected well, but I feel feel like we have become distant. And also often you might see in a a household um, where you'll have your siblings sitting, your parents sitting, um, two or three out of the siblings or your parent would be on their phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even at dinner table, sometimes it's seen that rather than um, having dinner all together, talking, someone might have their phone out, right? So obviously that's the time uh, where you can actually speak, have a conversation, uh, speak to your elders, etc. Yes. And for this, our community, the MDA Muslim community, we've obviously have the elders um, association within the community that regularly holds community events like uh, charity walks. Every year, we, even within our mosque, uh, the Betul Futur Mosque, we have our charity walks happening. We have various educational competitions we have annual conferences and obviously we've got um, uh, conferences coming up as well, um, which help keep members connected to their faith, to their community. And at the end of the day, it makes them, it encourages good health and of course their well-being at the same time. Of course, and especially, you know, His Holiness Hazem Mirza Masur Ahmed, may Allah be helper, pays keen attention when, when he when he's speaking to to the elders association he asks them what kind of sports do you play do it if you cycle how long do you cycle for and making sure that their physical well-being is looked after and also the mental well-being of um of, of, of our elders association like you know when you sit down with the elders and you sit and you talk to them you find out the history so I'm just coming back you know where we left off before um, um our, our guest so Especially, you know, when we are studying in the the institution of modern language and theology uh, in Hezume, 
uh, we had a very senior uh, professor with us there, and he used to um, tell us about the time of migration between India and Pakistan, and the way he used to explain it, it, it was like that you were in that very moment, mm-hmm. and you could understand because he lived through that time. He understood what was happening. He told us the way people were um, struggling and the difficulties they faced to um, go from one end to the other. And, you know, obviously, and still remembering that time with him, it was quite um, um, quite an experience to understand, yeah. okay, this is how it was happening at that time. Yeah, and obviously, Saad, everyone goes through uh, various um, incidents in their yes. lives. And, you know, when you're speaking to an elderly person of such age that has been through, that has, has a past, obviously every elder person has a past, they have got stories, yes. narrations, but they like sharing those, of course. right? And if you ever, if you sit down with them, they can literally go on for hours with their stories. And I'm sure you won't get bored either oh, no. because just of how inspirational, faith-inspiring their stories are. And sometimes it makes you realise like uh, how easy we have gotten it in, in today's day and age. Uh, with all the accessibility yes. to all, with all the um, like the means that we have in the current day and age, um, so it's very like it's it's important as well, especially for them as well, and for your own uh, knowledge as well, and yes. for your faith as well. Even if you look at just uh, just a generation above us from um, fifteen plus, for example, and they have a whole different life story to tell us. Yeah. And then if you look at above 60 plus, they have a whole different life. Yeah. 75 plus, they have a whole different um, um, v- uh, view of the world, how it was then, how it is now. And they're quite, um, I was watching a um, um, video the other day that where they compared you know, the food um, from throughout 100 years, the packaging and the taste and, and so on and so forth, and how that has developed over time. So they were living at that time. They have seen those changes happening yeah. over and over time. I did, someone just emailed me, uh, um, sorry, email, uh, someone um, messaged me a video of when we were younger. I thought you had messaged me a, a video of when we were younger and participating. And the different, um, same brand have a different packaging and you look, oh, this is how it used to be at that time, which yep. is, I, w- I would believe, 15, 15 years ago, 15, uh, 15 to 20, uh, years or 10, 15 years ago. And we, the, the times have changed so vastly over time, uh, within such a small time. Yep. And you're like, okay, th- that looks ancient to me when I, when I saw that video, which is about 15 to 20, uh, 15, 10 to 15 years old. Yeah, well, I hope that I have these stories and narrations that I can narrate perhaps in 50 years or so. Apart from, obviously, we can talk about uh, Brexit and COVID. Obviously, that's been a significant part of the history um, or is going to be a significant part of the history. But I hope we can have narrations, etc. So that's why, you know, the the uh, family importance um, uh, for an elderly is really important. You know, a Harvard study has pro- uh, proven that embracing community um, helps one live longer and be even ha- be even more happier. Um, according to Robert, uh, the director of the study, the, a psychiatrist of at Massachusetts um, General Hospital and a professor of psych, uh, psych, uh, psychiatry um, at Harvard Medical School, the study found that relationships and how happy we are in, in, in them is very important to our health. While taking care of our bodies is important, tending to our relationships is a form of self-care too. The importance of family in old age is significant 
and holds varying degrees of importance across cultures and individual circumstances. Family, family provides emotional support, companionship and a sense of belonging which becomes particularly crucial in old age. The relationship developed over a lifetime can offer comfort and understanding during challenging times. So this was a small study done at Harvard that when you, when you become a part of a community or part of a family, you live longer and happier because you have someone to talk to. You have someone to share whatever is in in your heart. When even speaking to our guests today, they have said this: if someone has, you know, a someone to um, speak to, that is one crucial thing, um, especially in, in in the old age. Yeah, of course. Like Saad, not just be, being able to talk to them; it's just the whole supportive factor. Yes. Because obviously, if you're living alone by yourself, um, then obviously that's going to deteriorate your health, etc. Um, but it's just having the whole, like having a relationship, um, having a partner, having your children, your grandchildren, um, being in their presence will obviously uplift, uplift your mood all of it, all together, right? Um, and obviously, the um, the geriatric specialist Amy Hall uh, says a lot of people look forward to things like traveling, volunteering, or caring for their grandchildren oh, after yes. they retire. Definitely. And of course. We have our grand, uh, like we have our grandparents as well, Definitely. and when we be in their presence, you know how happy they are. They yes. they want to look after you. They want to feed you, especially if you go to your grand grandparents' house. They'll feed you. They'll have a table full of food, and once you're done eating, they will be like, "No, have more." Yeah, right? That's their way of happiness. Yes. That's their way of showing love, and they like doing that themselves. And yes. Of course, and once you when you are when you are in their presence, you feel. Happy as well, and of course, it re- removes the factor of loneliness as a whole. So she further says that those goals are going to be easier to meet and more enjoyable if your body is physically up to the task. The longer you can keep your body healthy and strong, the longer you can expect to live on in your own terms. So having strong family ties has been linked to better physical and mental health in old age. So and of course, emotional support and social connections within the family can also contribute to a higher quality of life which we've mentioned before uh, reduce stress and improved overall well-being yes you know the chronic verse which you have mentioned before that thy lord has commanded worship none but him and seek and show kindness to parents if one of them or both of them attain old age with thee never say unto them any word um, expressing or of uh, disgust nor re- reproach them, but address them with um, excellent speech. Chapter 17, verse 34. And the fourth successor of the promised Messiah, um, who, who the awaited Mahdi, um, um, His Holiness, Mirza um, Tahir Ahmed, you know, states, and is in is written in Islam's response to contemporary issues, the responsibility for care of the aged is gradually shifting to um to the state care of the age represents a heavy burden on the national economy it doesn't matter how much a state is ready to spend it can never buy them peace and contentment the most terrible feeling of having been rejected left out and abandoned and the most painful realization of a growing void of loneliness within a problems beyond the reach 
of many to resolve. They are to, cons to consider that a comparatively remote re relative would ever be taken care of by the um, rest of the family has become almost impossible to imagine. Old age homes are getting fully packed. Finding a place for a loved one is getting harder with time. Yet, it is not always possible for a state to cover all expenses to provide for the oneness uh, wants in need even the minimal requirement of a decent life. What influence does it have on their lives? What? Why are elderly people um, elderly people becoming more and more a burden? Why are children not capable of looking after their own parents? Is it due to the rising cost of living? Is it not affordable for the children to look after their parents? Whose responsibility um, is it to, um, to take care and look after um, one's parents and elderly people according to Islam? Yeah, so it's very interesting to know, like the foresight of Hazrat Mizar Tahir Ahmed, um, may Allah be pleased with him, like how this was obviously written about over two decades ago, two, three decades ago. Yes. And that was the situation, he's describing the situation of what is happening with the elderly people at the time, right? Uh, how the states are looking after the elderly people now, yes. um, as opposed to if you go back to the early Islamic um, era or even after that, how it was responsibilities of of kids to look after their parents because obviously they've spent their lives uh, feeding feeding you and looking after you your health your well being your clothes and now once they've reached the age elderly age where they need support or rely on someone it's the parent the kids job to look after their parents Correct. and how he's stating that now how that shift in society how it's the states are looking after. Um, the elderly people and how care homes are being filled and now when we come to 2024 in this day and age how we see this is actually true how care homes are full there's no space for them um, kids are leaving their parents because obviously they aren't able to look after them in, in the manner that they're supposed to but of course if we look at the Islamic teachings um, we are told we are given the teachings by the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him we are commanded in the Holy Quran that we should look after elderly people, whether it be your parents, whether it be your relatives, your neighbours, um, we should be uh, obliged to do that. And of course, you've mentioned the verse of the Holy Quran from chapter 17 um, in regards to that. So as Muslims, and just to make our society better, to look after our whole environment, um, to have a more peaceful society, it's our duty also to look after our young ones and also our, our elderly. And you know, uh, Holy, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, you know, has said this: "May he be disgraced. May he, may he be disgraced." And you know, the companions ask, "O Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, who are you talking about? What, what, what who, who be disgraced?" You know, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, says so beautifully here. You know, that the one who finds his parents in old age, um, either one or both of them. And does not enter paradise. Oh. So simple, yeah. simple words that if a person who does not, uh, he finds his parents uh, one or both of them in old age, but he still is unable to enter paradise. May he be dis disgraced because it was his um, um, duty to look out um, when they had reached such an age that um, they are unable to look out for themselves, and it was it was his duty to look out for them.
So we should always remember this, you know, that our parents are our responsibility also as children to look out for. Yep. So just picking up on that, you know, and how to also we're looking at how to improve health and living experiences of care home residents. Of course, yes. there's elders that are in care homes. So how can they uh, improve their health and living experience in regards to that? A Shropshire care home company has launched a new online campaign to highlight the many ways its staff help care home residents. The not-for-profit company has launched the little things in life to showcase their activities which help residents enjoy happy and fulfilling lives. And research has shown that even a simple cup of tea and a chat can improve mental health. And we've seen how, if you obviously, if you're working all day and you go home and sit down with a cup of tea with speaking to your mom or your dad or your elderly grandparents, it improves your... And obviously you feel kind of that inner satisfi- satisfaction. Yes, and residents with dementia can benefit enormously from activities which help them remember who they are. That might mean mm-hmm. spending time reminiscing over old photo albums, listening to some favourite music or reading a treasure story uh, from their past. Um, and research reported by Harvard University, it shows that physical exercise and mental stimulation can both help improve cognitive function and reduce stress. Of course, our guests have also given various advice on how Indeed. how it, how loneliness can affect your mental health and what we can do um, to help our elderly. Yes, you know, uh, you know, I'm looking at the time. The time just flew by talking about this very important topic. Just want to mention, um, for example, the work done by the Ahmadi Muslim community to help the um, the um, aged um, group. So, how can we as a community or as a human being? Uh, uh, human beings improve health and living experience of care homes residents. You know, the community is vital to battle loneliness. It has been observed that during the festive seasons of Christmas, a lot of people com- come out of their shells and try to contribute in doing so much good work and give back to the community. Several homeless um, shelters and care homes start receiving countless um, care packages around this year of time in, in December. And, you know, feeding centres and food banks finally get the long-awaited donations and stock up their storage. And the Ahmadi Muslim community is always at the forefront um, to serve the community yeah. in the best way possible. Yeah, so I just want to uh, make a quote of what the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizar Masur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, said in regards to treating all people equally with love mm-hmm. and respect and to care for them. Uh, he states that we consider it to be our good fortune to remove the heavy weight of desperation from the shoulders of such disadvantaged people. This is true Islam, wherein apart from worshipping God Almighty, Muslims strive earnestly to provide comfort to others. He, uh, he also prayed um, that the, our neighbours and indeed all members of the society come to see and witness for themselves the highest standards of benevolence, care and consideration from the local Ahmadi Muslims. And I pray that we are never a cause of pain or concern for anyone. I am confident that the local Ahmadi Muslims will act upon this and will strive to serve humanity with selflessness and open hearts. Yes, you know, I hope, you know, looking at the time, I hope and pray that we have learned, including ourselves, we have learned something new today and hopefully we can take away something from this hour and apply it in our lives going on forward from today. And, you know, I believe we can um, all take you know, nuggets of wisdom from this session, especially on our responsibilities as being Ahmadi Muslims, not only towards our parents, 
when they come to an order, but also the elderly who have who are in our society. And it's very important for us to understand that not all people have families who can support them. So we should make an extra effort to look out um, around us and see where we can make someone feel more supported. This is what we have for today. Uh, for the first hour, inshallah, I will see you all back after the small news. Welcome back to the second hour of today's Drive Time Show with myself, Saad, and brother Noshirwan. In the second hour, we will be speaking about the promised son, um, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed. May Allah, uh, be, may Allah be pleased with him, who he was. Um, why are we speaking about him today? Why he was named the promised son? That will be all um, explained throughout today's show. So before we start off, I would like to um, introduce um, the, show, the show that every year the Ahmadiyya Muslim community holds a gathering on the 20th, 20th February. So today um, is, is the date to commemorate the Muslim Maud Day, the, a, the day about the promised reformer. Now, the, this prophecy of the promised Messiah um, upon whom be peace um, was about the birth of a son which he foretold um, after receiving a divine revelation and we'll go into more detail and what that revelation was um, all about and when it occurred. This was a response to the allegations of the opponents of Islam whereby they said that Islam could not demonstrate um, any signs of its truthfulness. And then hence the promised Messiah salam, upon whom be peace responded by saying that he had been informed by Allah the Almighty by Allah the Almighty and announced that a significant sign of the truthfulness of Islam would be manifested through him. It would be through the birth of his son who would enjoy a long life and serve Islam. You know, before we carry on, Shivan, at that time, um, for example, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't even know if I, um, I, um, I would survive um, in the next hour. But here, the Prophet Messiah was saying that he, uh, Allah the Almighty has given him a, uh, a, a promise that he will be, um, um, he'll, he'll have a son. Yep. In 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 a due course. Yeah. Of course, this is was obviously in response to all the opposition and the allegations that was being raised um, at him. So this was kind of like a, it was a sign for all of those that are raising these allegations. And you know, Saad, sometimes often people think that with uh, the twentieth February, uh, we're celebrating someone's birthday. No. But in actuality, it's not anyone's birthday. It's to kind of, um, we're kind of, what the prophecy is. We're kind of celebrating, celebrating the, the grandeur fulfillment of that prophecy Correct. itself. And you know, the, uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he also said that he would be gifted, that son that was going to be born, um, would be gifted with such and such qualities. And he enumerated approximately 52 or 53 qualities, which are obviously mentioned uh, within the prophecy. And this was no ordinary, ordinary prophecy. Um, and of course, once we obviously will have a look at the prophecy itself, the words of the prophecy, um, and the Promissiah, moreover, he uh, speci- specified a time frame for when that prophecy will be fulfilled. That this son would be born within this mu- period of time. Of course. He would enjoy a long life, and like you mentioned, and would go on to serve Islam in an extraordinary manner. So hence, we'll listen to the words of the prophecy, and then we'll come back and speak about and talk about more about this prophecy. Here is a quick clip. The divine revelation concerning the Muslim Aud. 
In the announcement of 20th of February, 1886, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, says, God the merciful, the noble, the high, the exalted, who has power to do all that he wills, glory be to him and exalted be his name, has vouchsafed to me the following revelation. I confer upon you a sign of my mercy according to what you have begged of me. So I have heard your entreaties and have honored your prayers with my acceptance through my mercy and made your journey a source of blessings for you. Therefore a sign of power, mercy, nearness is bestowed on you. A sign of grace and beneficence is awarded to you and you are granted the key of success and victory. Peace on you, O victorious one. Thus did God speak so that those who desire life may be rescued from the grip of death and those who are buried in the graves may come out of them and so that the superiority of Islam and the dignity of God's word may become manifest unto the people and so that truth may arrive with all its blessings and falsehood may flee with all its ills and so that people may understand that I am the Lord of power I do whatever I will and so that they may believe that I am with you and so that those who do not believe in God and deny and reject his religion and his book and his holy messenger Muhammad, the chosen one, وسلم, may be confronted with a clear sign and the way of the guilty ones may become manifest. Rejoice, therefore, that a handsome and pure boy will be bestowed on you. You will receive an unblemished youth who will be of your seed and will be of your progeny. A handsome and pure boy is coming as your guest. His name is Emmanuel and also Bashir. He has been invested with a spirit of holiness and he is free from all impurity. He is the light of Allah. Blessed is he who comes from heaven. He will be accompanied by grace which shall arrive with him. He will be characterized with grandeur, greatness and wealth. He will come into the world and will heal many of their disorders through his messianic qualities and through the blessings of the spirit of holiness. He is the word of Allah for Allah's mercy and honor have equipped him with the word of majesty. He will be extremely intelligent and perceptive and will be meek of heart and will be filled with secular and spiritual knowledge. He will convert three into four. Of this the meaning is not clear. It is Monday, a blessed day, sun, delight of the heart, high-ranking, noble, a manifestation of the first and the last, a manifestation of the true and the high, as if Allah has descended from heaven. His advent will be greatly blessed and will be a source of manifestation of divine majesty. Behold, a light comes, anointed by God, with the perfume of his pleasure. We shall pour our spirit into him, and he will be sheltered under the shadow of God. He will grow rapidly in stature, and will be the means of procuring the release of those held in bondage. His fame will spread to the ends of the earth, and peoples will be blessed through him. He will then be raised to his spiritual station in heaven. This is a matter decreed. So this was the prophecy um, which the prophet Messiah upon whom be peace um, announced in 1886 and you know how this prophecy came to be that the prophet Messiah was told that you know, a event will happen in Hoshiarpur so he went there for 40 days um, and for a day and night he prayed and he lived there and praying day in day out and Allah the Almighty then gave him this uh, prophecy that he will be um, given a son who will be, you know, very um, um, was, uh, was a pure, handsome boy, and his name is Emmanuel, also Bashir. You know, he will have so much um, um, to do that that his life will be so important. And we we saw from the the day he was born. 
till the day he passed, passed away as the Mr. Bashir Uddin Mahmood Ahmed, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, uh, it, it was from 1889 to 1965. That's, that's the whole time frame of his life and the, the immense work he did during that time. And we'll speak about it as we go along. <clears throat> so, Hazrat Mr. Bashir Uddin Mahmood Ahmed, um, he was born in Qadian on the 12th of January 1889 and he was born to um, the Prophet Messiah and his mother's name was Hazrat Nusra Jahan Begum Sahib um, who was from a Sayyid family which belonged to Delhi from a very small age you know, um, his holiness was very keen um, how can I become close to our creator he was so keen, keen, keen that at the age of 11 just at such a yeah, young age, Nushiman, that there's a promised son. He said, if the promised uh, Messiah, God forbid, is uh, not who he claims, I would leave this family. But he found out, he he was um, told, he was put in his heart that yes, his father is the promised Messiah. He is the truthful uh, Mahdi who, and the um, Messiah who everyone was, everyone was waiting for. And we see throughout his life, he stood by the words um, that yes, that from Messiah was the truthful one, and especially at the age of eleven, still at the young age, um, he was like, "Why do we believe in Allah?" And at late night, and uh, it was put in his heart, you know, that yes, there is a God. So that was put in his heart that there, yes, there is a God. This was because of his upbringing was so um, pure, so um, very closely monitored by his parents that yes. This is um, who he was. Plus, he was a person who had his own wisdom, which uh, which was told or foretold in that prophecy that he will be um, blessed with wisdom. And we see uh, the books he wrote, the sermons he delivered, um, the places he visited, and the work he has done. Especially, for example, in 1924, the foundation stone of um, the Fuzzle Mosque here in Southfields was, was laid by His Holiness at that time and, and in October it will be 100 years of, uh, of the completion of the um, foundation stone being laid. So you see the, the, the work he started off from a very tender age and at the age of 11 he, he was firm if the problem Messiah was um, not the truthful one I would leave him but it was put in his heart that no he is the truthful one and we see from his works throughout his life that Yes, the promised Messiah was the truthful one. Yeah, and so not just that, if you look at the early life of uh, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, um, he did not have much um, secular knowledge. Yes. He did not go through the entire educational process. Um, and of course, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, had passed away when he was at the age of 19. And going through that whole, of course, his father, oh, yes. uh, he was very beloved and dear to him. So going through that phase in his life must have been extremely difficult, as it is for anyone. Definitely. Um, but then having no knowledge and no uh, secular education, um, but yet serving Islam the way he did was extraordinary. And yes. it fulfills the prophecy the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, had received word for word. Exactly. Mm. It shows that how Allah the Almighty had helped the promised Messiah um, was was actually how he was helping him 
and of course through the the person of Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed. And just Nushman, just you, uh, as you have mentioned about uh, when he was 19 years of age and his father, the Prophet Messiah, passed away. And you know, the elders at that time, he's at age 19 at the moment, and the elders were worried what's going to happen to the community, what's going to happen with us in the future now. But at that time, the Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood and may Allah help her, that you know, he's like, Oh Lord, I bear witness that, you know, and make a promise that if the um, wholeheartedly, if the whole world or the whole community turns, I will send a message through the, through the corners of the earth. So that, that was his words at the age of 19 that, yes, uh, my, my father was a truthful and awaited um, await Mahdi, that even if the world turns against, against him, I will carry the mes- mission forward and tell everyone that yes, the promised Messiah and the Mahdi has come. He was born in Qadiyan in, 18, in 1835 and he has passed away in 1908. Yeah. And I am <coughs> the one, uh, I'm the promised um, son who he has foretold. And yeah. uh, he claimed to be the pro- uh, promised reformer, uh, promised son in 1940. Yeah. Just to state uh, the exact words of Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed, peace be upon him, uh, may Allah be pleased with him. He said that that was when his father, the Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, had passed away. He said that even if all the people leave you and I am left alone, I would stand by you and would face all opposition and onslaughts on your mission. Right at the age of nineteen, right at right now, I'm twenty nine. So he was he was a decade younger. younger than me. Yet, what promise he had done with his father at his passing, he had tri- strived in the best possible manner to fulfil it. And I'm sure the history bears witness to to the accomplishments that he has done, the service he has done, uh, not just for world at large, but for Islam and for the betterment. Of, of Islam as a whole. Yes. So looking towards um, the prophecy, um, the prophecy was for about a child who would enjoy a long life. The, you know, from that you can understand that the state of the health of this child um, who was prophesied to live a long life and from the extract of the, um, of the promised, uh, uh, promised reformer, Hazim Mahmoud Ahmed, states that my health was rather poor during my childhood. At first, I suffered from whooping cough and then my health declined to such an extent that until the age of 11 or 12, my condition would hover between life and death. And it was generally, consi- generally co- uh, considered that I would not live for very long. Now, you see, uh, the, if, when, we, when we start reading his, his life journey, till the age of 12, the, he, the, the, they thought that he might not survive. During the same period, my eyes developed a condition whereby they, they would ache continuously to such an extent that I lost almost all vision in one eye. Even now, my vision is impaired uh, in that eye. I, at that time, he was delivering this address. I can hardly see in one eye. Then when I grew older, I had um, continuous fever for six or seven months and I was diagnosed with you know, um, um, tuberculosis. Due to this, I was unable to study on a regular basis and I had not attended school. So Master Fakirullah Sahib um, of Lahore, um, who was delivering this um, uh, um, lecture in Lahore, (coughs) owned a house in in, in Muslim town. He was a mathematic teacher in our school. 
Once Master Fakirullah Sahib complained about me to the Prophet Messiah, upon whom be peace, saying he remains absent from school and only comes occasionally. And I became scared that the Prophet Messiah, Islam, upon whom be peace, might become upset. However, the Prophet Messiah, upon whom be peace, replied, Master Sahib, so he's, he's replying back to the teacher, his health is poor. We are thankful that he attends school occasionally and learns some things here and there. Do not push him too much. Now, from now, if if you look at this time and the books he has written and the speeches he has delivered, he he didn't even attend school school um, on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, I also remember that the Prophet Messiah, upon whom be peace, said, "What will we achieve by teaching him mathematics? Are we going to make him?" Open a shop, the promised Messiah said, it will suffice if he just studies the Holy Quran and the sayings, hadith, the sayings of the Prophet wasallam. Yeah, so Saad, obviously what you've mentioned was basically, in short, how his health condition was yes. at, at that age, right? And his attendance at school during his childhood was not so much significant. But what the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, had mentioned that he doesn't want him to, or what this studying ma- mathematics or studying these um, topics is only going to give him knowledge of the world. Obviously, which the promised Messiah, the uh, the Hazrat Zabishuddin Mahmudam, the promised reformer, did have a knowledge of, of the world. But the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, wanted him to learn the Quran and Ahadith because he knew that this was the promised son who was going to serve Islam in an extraordinary manner. So given the circumstances of his attendance at school, his health conditions, who could have like guaranteed that he would live a long life and not just a long life, but it was also prophesied that he would be filled with spiritual and secular knowledge. And who could have said that he would acquire this knowledge under such circumstances? I mean, no individual can claim, make this claim, make this prophecy um, to have done Correct. so. So you know, when we look towards um, what were the sentiments of the first caliph, Hazrat Mulana Hakim Nurdin, towards Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud, may Allah be pleased with him. And from what we see, and and the first caliph of Ahmadiyya, Hazrat Mulana Hakim Nurdin Sahib, has expressed, it is clear that he understood this child would become the manifestation of the prophecy of the. Promised reformer, a Muslim out, and has a Muslim out um, relates an incident, and he says, and it was quite some time ago that I, along with some of my friends, initiated the Tashizul Azan magazine in order to um, garner attention for this magazine. I wrote an article which outlined its aims and objectives. When it was published, Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih the first, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, expressed his special appreciation for for it to the Prophet Messiah upon whom be peace to read it. Thus, the Prophet Messiah asked to see the magazine whilst he was in Masjid Mubarak and had Molvi Abdul Ali Sahib read the article out to him, upon which he commanded, uh, commended it later, commended it later when I met Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih the first, Although he had praised the article before the Prophet Messiah upon him peace, when he met me and he uh, he said, Mia, so he was addressing the second caliph, Mia, your article was quite good. However, I am not satisfied. 
he as meaning Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih the first said there is a saying which is common in our country the camel is worth 40 and its calf is worth 42 meaning the price of a camel is less while the price of its calf is 2 rupees more you have not fulfilled the metaphor and you know um, Hazrat Muslim out may Allah be pleased with him explains um, I could not speak Punjabi and did not understand what this meant Upon seeing the confusion on my face, Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih, the first, may Allah be pleased with him, said, Perhaps you have not understood the meaning. This is a metaphor used in our area that a person was selling a camel along with a calf, which in that area was called Toda. So someone asked him the price and he replied that the camel's price is 40 rupees while the Toda's price was 42 rupees. He was surprised to hear this um, upon um, which the earlier person said that the Itorda is both a camel and a young calf. In the same way, you had the Prophet upon whom be peace, a book Brahim Ahmadiyya at your disposal. When this was written by um, Brahim Ahmadiyya, there was no other Islamic literature like it at the disposal of the promised Messiah um, upon whom be peace. However, you had this with you and it was expected accepted expected that you would present something even greater by benefiting from it you know so here Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih the first may Allah be, may Allah be uh, pleased with him is saying that you, sh- you have your father's books at your disposal you should come up with something even better something even more and you know and Hazrat Muslim says how can one present greater knowledge than those commissioned by God? Now that's that's his reply now towards um, Hazrat Khalifa al Masih the first. But this was not the question at hand, expect, uh, except that one ought to have brought the hidden gems presented by the Prophet Messiah um, upon whom be peace. What Hazrat Khalifa al Masih the first meant uh, was that it was the responsibility of later generations to build upon the foundations which the previous which, which were previously established. Um, Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih I was aware about the conditions of his health and also knew the level of knowledge and despite that, this was how highly he thought of him. This certainly indicated that he knew this boy had potential to write articles of the highest standard and we see it in today's day and in today's day and age, yes, the articles he wrote, the sermons he delivered, the books he wrote, they are still of great um, respect we are still reaping the benefits from it and even you know at the time of the first um, when Hazrat uh, Khalifa the first became the caliph in 1908 he was standing by his side he was um, he was with him throughout and he was um, his um, helping hand and you know Hazur put so much tr- trust in Hazrat Khalifa the second um, th- th- at that time he was uh, uh, that when he gave him so much love and so much trust whenever he came to him he gave him something some work to do and he left him with it that's that that's how much trust the first caliph had in the promise um, reformer yeah. as a Mahmud, <coughs> may Allah be pleased with him so and when when became khalifa um, and i won't say the date because that's a question we are asking on our instagram page so i want to see who um, gets the answer correct but it happened after the um prayer of Asr, the, um, the third prayer um, d- during the five daily prayers. Yep. And obviously um, Saad, we, we spoke about the health condition um, of the promised reformer, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed. 
uh, may Allah be pleased with him. But uh, there's another incident that shows the state of his health and knowledge. Um, in fact, this incident also shows the degree of love and care that uh, the first Khalifa, Hazrat Mirza, Hazrat Hakim Nuruddin, um, may Allah be pleased with him, and the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, had for him. And it also proves that they were certain that this child was the promised reformer. Correct. And in regards to this, uh, the promised reformer, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, he states that, um, in regards to that incident, he states that in relation to my educa- education, Hazrat Khalifatumasi the first, may Allah be pleased with him, conferred the greatest favour upon me, since he was a physician and also aware of the fact that owing to my poor health, I was unable to look at a book for too long. Therefore, his method of teaching was that he would seat me beside him and say, Mia, which is a, was like a polite word, um, I will read and you continue to listen. So this was kind of like love and affection that the first caliph had for uh, the promised uh, reformer, who was at the, that time at a very young age. Uh, he was in his in his teens, rather. So then whilst explaining his health condi- condition, uh, Hazrat Mirza Bashuddin Mahmood Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, he says, the reason for this was that in my childhood, a severe form of, of trachoma formed in my eyes. His ailment of the eyes has been mentioned uh, earlier, like we spoke. And I and he states that, and I suffered from pain in my eyes for a consecutive period of three to four years. Due to the effects of uh, trachomatous uh, concretions, I had such severe pain in my eyes. The doctor said that I would eventually lose my eyesight. Imagine, like, obviously, obviously doctors are well aware yes. of your physical conditions, um, the circumstances you're going through. And the doctor is suggesting that it could eventually happen that this son, he could, uh, the, obviously, the promised reformer, may Allah be pleased with him, would could eventually lose his eyesight. Uh, upon this, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he started to pray specifically for uh, my health and also began to observe fasts. And Hazrat uh, Muslim Maud, the promised reformer, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, he further states, I do not recall how many fasts he observed. In any case, he observed three or seven fasts. When he was about to break his last fast and was about to place something in his mouth in order to break the fast, I suddenly opened my eyes and exclaimed that I am able to see. And he, um, Hazrat Muslim Maud, uh, the promised reformer, may Allah be pleased with him, says that he opened his eyes and said that he could see. So obviously, at that, this was the condition. A doctor could say that eventually he might lose sight, but <coughs> this, this is what happens. However, the result of this illness and its repeated outbreaks was that the sight in one of my eyes weakened significantly. Although he didn't lose his uh, sight vision. altogether, mm-hmm. his vision didn't. But of course, one of his eyes, he was it was able to uh, see less as opposed to the other one. And he further explains that, hence, I am unable to see properly through my left eye. I am unable to. I, I am able to see ahead of me, but I am unable to read a book. If a person whom I know is sitting two or four feet away, I am able to recognize him. However, if someone unfamiliar sits there, I am unable to make out his face. Only my right eye is fully functional. However, uh, trachomatous concretions formed in this eye as well. And its uh, severity was such that I would spend many nights awake due to it. So from this narration, obviously, um, this incident, it kind of shows um, how his health was, how it progressed over the years as well. Um, Although, 
just if you see like look at his work that he done his scholarly work that he produced and how he was bestowed the succor of God Almighty the fact of the matter is that Allah the Almighty indeed intended to fulfill the prophecy that he had um, revealed to the promised Messiah peace be upon him and through the person of um, Hazrat Mirza Bishuddin Mahmud Ahmad may Allah be pleased with him and that is why Allah the Almighty himself filled him with immense immense knowledge yes you know um, just before we go on to, for the, to the fulfillment of the prophecies and how it all happened I want to add a, a small incident at a time when Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih the second the promised uh, reform Hazrat Mirza Bishuddin Mahmud may Allah be pleased with him was to be elected and you know at, he was at the age of 25 at that time when the first caliph passed away and there were many prominent members around him many strong names around him and when his holiness was at, elected at that time um, you, you see there was a, a small uproar on the side happening also but a vision you know which he saw that he was passing through a you know a, a difficult phase and an angel um, says keep going and with the sheer mercy of Allah, you will reach your destination. And, you know, all success will be with the Jamaat. The that these were the words of the promised son at that time. That when, when he saw the vision, that all the success will be with the members who stay connected with the community, with the Jamaat at that time. And we see in today's, well, in 2020, 2024, that yes, all success was with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. With this, I would like to um, take on our um, guest, uh, respected Imam Imtiaz Ahmed Sarah, um, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Canada. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome him to the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. How are you? Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace with you and assalamu alaikum to your listeners as well. It's always great to be back on Voice of Islam. Welcome, Islam Zakla, for joining us from from across the sea. And wanted to ask about how did the life and the leadership of Hazrat Muslimaut, the um, promised reformer, demonstrate um, continuity with the mission of the promised Messiah upon him be peace. Yeah, this is a, uh, I, I think it's a very important question. Um, and, uh, you know, being Muslim, we, we take a cue uh, of everything from uh, the Holy Quran. Mm-hmm. And Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran, chapter 62, verse 3, Surah Al-Jumah. And uh, in that uh, verse, Allah the Almighty says, uh, then this, uh, the uh, you know, four task of the Holy Prophet Muhammad has been mentioned, and uh, whenever a prophet comes, uh, uh, he, that prophet performs four tasks. That is, uh, you know, reciting the signs of God Almighty, teaching them the book and wisdom, and purify them. And this was indeed the mission of the promised Messiah. If you look at the verse number four of the same chapter, chapter 62, mm-hmm. uh, talks about the advent of the promised Messiah. The Holy Prophet himself explained in the commentary of this verse that the Messiah will come and he will perform these tasks. And with the uh, with Hazrat Muslimah, who was to be, who, who was the, the second caliph or the successor of the promised Messiah, 
he he continue these four tasks that we that we uh, know from this verse of the Holy Quran throughout his life. That is as reciting Allah's signs, teaching him the book and the wisdom, meaning the Holy Quran and its wisdom, and then purify them. So if we look at the whole, uh, the the life of the promised reformer. Uh, we see these prominent, all these ta- four prominent tasks being fulfilled, which was indeed the mission of the promised Messiah, alayhi salam. And, you know, it's, this also goes, there's an interesting uh, uh, and a very profound incident that happened during the life of uh, the promised reformer. At mm-hmm. the demise of uh, his, fa- uh, his revered father, uh, the promised Messiah, alayhi salam, uh, uh, you know, he uh, he stood by the uh, by the uh, by the promised Messiah who was deceased, and he made a pledge to himself, and he said, "Even if all the people leave you, and I am left alone, I would stand by you, and would face all opposition and onslaught against your mission." So that's something we see. Um, you know, resonate throughout the life of Hazrat Muslimah the the promised reformer upon uh, may, may Allah be pleased may Allah be pleased with him that this was actually the highlight of his whole life come what may he took on many challenges and by the help of Allah he was successful and he kept on the mission of the promised Messiah Islam continue Exactly. So beautifully explained, Imam Tiaz. Um, say, uh, the second question I want to ask you: Are there any historical events or incidents that are considered, you know, significant in the context of prophecies associated with the promised reformer? Oh yes. I mean, if you look at the prophecy itself, uh, uh, the, you know, the promised uh, Messiah was uh, uh, Islam was promised that uh, you know this this uh, this person would be victorious one uh, this 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 promised reformer this promised son would be victorious uh, the words of the prophecy i think uh, 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 peace be on you o victorious salam. so i mean if you look at uh, the life of hazrat muslim may allah be pleased with it, the promised reformer uh, he faced many challenges, and every time he faced an up challenge, uh, uproar, not a challenge, it was monumentous. Uh, and 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 you know, people thought that this would this would be the end of the community. I'll just give you one example. Mm-hmm. For example, in 1934, there was a a, a Muslim organization called the Majlisi Ahrar, yes. and they had the support of the Muslims, and they had the you know. Uh, support financially speaking as well. They had the numbers, they had the finances, and they came with this with their pomp and you know big big uh, uh, claims that they will come and destroy Kadian. They went on even to say that you know within the next few years no one will uh, you know t- even talk about the promised Messiah, and uh, they they said we will come to Kadian and we'll you know. Uh, destroy the 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 play, uh, places of worship and even Minaratul Masih, the minaret of the Promised Messiah, and they will take the bricks and they will uh, throw it in the nearby river, mm-hmm. um, and no one will remember uh, Promised Messiah or his community. Hazrat Muslim uh, through the help of God, Allah Taala revealed a a 
a scheme uh, in uh, on his heart. And he said, you know, these people want to annihilate Islam and Ahmadiyyat uh, from Qadiyan. I tell you, Allah Ta'ala has guided me towards a scheme that the, the, the message of Islam, Ahmadiyyat, uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat would be founded in every corner of the world, in every country of the world. So that Tehreek was called the Tehreek Jadid, and through that Tehreek Jadid, uh, missions were established in in the UK, in 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 Canada, in Australia, in 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 Spain. I mean, you name it, in Africa, the remotest places of the world. Now, by the grace of Allah, through this scheme, um, Jamaat continues to flourish, continues to progress uh, uh, by the grace of Allah the Almighty, and this again goes back to, uh, you know, look at the situation at the community at that time, very humble community, meek resources, had actually nothing but the support of Allah. And through that Correct. support, through that promise that God Almighty made with the promise of Sayyidah Salaam, um, you know, success will be granted. And we see that success being granted through uh, Hazrat Muslim Allah. You know, it's well said, um, Imam Tihar. So, how do, for example, the Ahmadi Muslims, with the period of Khalafat Rashad, Rashad the, the rightly guided caliphate, under the um, under the leadership of Hazrat Muslim, or the promised reformer? I think this is a very important question, and especially when we look at it in the context of some of the misconceptions that people have about uh, Khilafat Rashida. Um, you know, Hazrat Muslim Himaud, uh, uh, one of his qualities that had been uh, that was mentioned in uh, uh, in the in the prophecy Muslim Himaud was that uh, he um, uh, you know he would be extremely he will be extremely intelligent and under- understanding. Yes. And and when we look at Hazrat Muslim Himaud uh, with this lens and with this quality and how he uh, you know looked at the uh, the uh, the that part of the history, and how he made sure that the members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat understand uh, uh, that part of the history, which is the most important part of the history of uh, of Islam. That is, uh, you know, after the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and and you know, if you if you talk to historians, they will say that this is the most difficult part to understand um, uh, of the history. Now, Hazrat Muslim anhu, through his God-given faculties, understood, um, um, you know, this whole problem. How this, you know, the the discord happened uh, during the early period of Islam, and how it originated. In fact, he delivered a lecture called "Islam Nekhtalafat Ka Aghaz." How the discord had started in the uh, in, in Islam, yes. uh, and it was delivered at a, at a at a prominent college where many historians also participated. And after you know listening to the lecture of uh, Hazrat Muslim may Allah be pleased with him, they said that you know uh, although we this is our bread and butter, and we uh, we uh, we we are historians and we know this and we do this on day to day basis, yet when we listen to you, we, it felt like, you know, we are just a student. And this is the kind of knowledge Hazrat Muslim was granted and how he was able to pinpoint, uh, the, you know, the, uh, and, and solve the, you know, very difficult part of the history and how he cleared many misconceptions about the Khulafa, uh, earlier Khulafa, that is Khilafat-e-Rashida, and how he, you know, 
instill in our hearts that uh, the 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 uh, the you know the stature of Khilafat is 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 very high, and 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 for anyone to any point any fingers that you know uh, they they could have done this or they should have done this that's that's incorrect. Yeah, Imam Imtiaz. I mean, you explained it really well, and of course, since this was a prophecy to the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, it was going to be fulfilled word for word. And of course, the person of the promised reformer uh, was going to be extraordinary in terms of uh, in terms of his um, stature. So, can you just uh, explain, of course, um, some of the challenges faced by the Hazrat Muslim mode, um, and of course, how did he address? Uh, them in accordance with the teachings of Islam. Uh, you know, if you look at the life of Hazrat Muslim radiallahu anhu, there were challenges one after the other, one after the other, and every challenge was bigger than the previous one. Yep. Uh, and 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 you know, to in a short interview to talk about the but, challenges that Hazrat faced and how. Uh, how he, uh, you know, was able to maneuver the Jamaat through those uh, challenging times. It's 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 a it's a, a task that cannot be cannot cannot do justice. Yeah, I, definitely. Uh, I, yeah, myself. Yeah. So, but I'll just give you an example. When Hazrat Muslim the promised reformer, may Allah be pleased with him, he beca- he was elected as Khalifa. He was only 25 years of age, and and and. Um, and and there were a there was a big uh, you know and uh, 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 sort of uh, uh, part of the Jamaat who actually uh, went with the people who actually didn't want the Khilafah to continue. Uh, but Hazrat Muslim said that uh, you know that he was elected and he said this will continue the work of the Promise of Islam as promised in the will. Uh, it will the Khilafah will continue. So uh, he he at that very tender age of 25 he started leading the community and you know there's people made big claims at all for the cause of a a 25 year old uh, kid you know so to speak this is what they 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 are they're destroying the Jamaat right and then they would they would go on to say oh we are the 95 percent and you are the five percent. Yeah. Uh, and and they took all the, the all the finances of Jamaat and everything, and they called themselves the Lahori Jamaat, right? Yeah. Now, Hazrat Muslim Aldrazi Allahu Anhu was uh, was revealed by Allah the Almighty. There was Jailul Lazina Tabauka Fokal Lazina Kafaru Ila Yomil Kayama. That that Allah Taala will make your followers triumphant over those who who who, who will not follow you. Now, if I mean, if you look at, it's not even hundred years from 1934, or, or you know, uh, uh, since his prophecy, the Muslim claimed to be the promised reformer, uh, promised reformer in 1944. Where do we see ourselves in history? We see we are by the grace of Allah the majority now uh, in in terms of falling, and and we are the one who actually fallen the Muslim And This was again foretold. Uh, in, in by Allah the Almighty in this revelation, but this is how the Muslim Allah you know um, uh, dealt with those challenges. Uh, uh, as you asked, how he dealt with these challenges? Yeah, I mean, of course, the, with, the, yeah. with prayers, perseverance, with the help of Allah, you know, bowing down <laughs> and working hard and making sure the you know the community uh, is is led in a way that is that is a, a dignified way and that is according to the norms and teachings of the Holy Quran. 
So this is this will you know continue to lead our our success by the grace of Allah the Almighty. Yeah, Imam. Like just like you mentioned, like we can't go through all the challenges faced and how you overcome them. But I think you've summed it up beautifully. How the first challenge or one of the first challenges you faced was the actual um, of, of the debate on Khilafat, whether it should, it should stand or not, and of course the the part how the parties were formed as well. <clears throat> But just picking up from that, uh, of course, his resilience and his, um, of course, all the prayers uh, that he had received and was receiving, um, he continued to do his work and he had such trust on Allah the Almighty that he done extraordinary work for the sake of Islam. Just lastly, Imam Imtiaz, um, how is the legacy of Hazrat Muslimod preserved and commemorated within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community today? Yes. You know the legacy of Hazrat Muslimah, radiyallahu anhu, that is something that is continue that will continue. Definitely. As I mentioned in my pre uh, in my previous response, there was a revelation uh, that the problem Hazrat Muslimah, radiyallahu anhu, was was revealed uh, that ladina tabauka ladina kafaru, and this is something and this is something continue that will till the end of time, inshallah. Ta'ala. And those inshallah. people who will fo- who will follow. Hazrat Muslim radiallahu anhu in in the form of Hazrat Khalifat al Masih the second, inshallah will continue continue to progress by leaps and bounds. And this is what we see under the current leadership of Hazrat uh, Amir al Mu'minin. The legacy of Hazrat Muslim radiallahu anhu continues. How his legacy continues? You know, one of the greatest um, services that he has he, he rendered. Uh, was the, the service of the Holy Quran uh, and yeah. and the vision that he gave us uh, in terms of translating the Holy Quran, in terms of uh, uh, you know publishing the Holy Quran, carrying out the message of the Holy Quran, and this is all being done, um, you know, under the leadership of, uh, of our current Khalifa, Hazrat Amir al-Mu'mineen, may Allah be his helper. And if you look at for example any any allegation that is made on the on on the Holy Quran. Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih is the first one uh, to not only respond to it but also give a a formal framework what needs to be done as a community and we do that uh, you know when the Holy Quran uh, um, you know people try to burn Holy Quran who gives us not only condemns it tells us what needs to be done and the whole Jamaat continues to do it so the legacy of Hazrat Muslim is, is one a service to the Holy Quran that is continued through uh, under the leadership of Divine Khilafat. Now, the other legacy Hazrat Muslim is is of service uh, of of uh, of humanity. Yep. And again, this was also mentioned in the prophecy uh, of uh, of of uh, of Muslim Allah uh, that uh, uh, that's something uh, that is that is uh, that is that that, that is con- that, that continues to be done under the divine uh, uh, the appointed Khilafat. You know, building hospitals, building um, schools, building eye clinics. I mean, you name it. The Amalia Muslim community is at the forefront, Definitely. and and continues continues to continue to uh, make um, further the legacy of Hazrat Muslim Allah through through Khilafat Ahmadiyya. Yeah, I'm sure we can sit here and talk about his entire life and how he had guided uh, and led the community. But I'm sure we, we do not have time for that. But thank you, uh, Imam Imtiaz, for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on our show to talk about this uh, special prophecy and this divine prophecy. Thank you once again. Zakallah, peace is, be upon it you. Is, it, is good to be, it is good to be here. Thank you so much for the giving, giving me the opportunity. Zakallah, thank you for joining us. 
So this was um, Imam Imtiaz Ahmed Sara, a missionary of the Ahmadi Muslim community in Canada. And you know, Nasharwan, it was so beautifully explained by Imam Imtiaz regarding the prophecy, how the the how the promised reformer Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed was the one who was prophesied by the promised Messiah in 1886 when he was in Hoshiarpur for 40 days. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously when when we're talking about yes. like the the work of um the promised reformer Hazrat Musleh Maud may Allah be pleased with him and obviously we've mentioned how he would have he would possess so much knowledge and we can see we've briefly mentioned um the books he has written Correct. the sermons and speeches he has given but if you look at the figures he's written uh, 26 volumes of anwarul ulum which have been published uh, which include over 670 books of which is his lectures and his speeches uh, put together Correct. in that set <clears throat> then we also have uh, 39 volumes of khutbat e mahmud which are all his sermons um then we have which all of that compiled together it is a total of 2367 sermons um then we have over 1000 pages of tafsir sagir which is basically translation with some commentary of the holy quran and then we have 10 volumes of tafsir kabir which is in depth commentary of the holy quran and of which is of 59 chapters then of course he's, he's got other works as other books that Indeed. he has written and of course it just expands and and this is how you know, the the numbers you just given him brother shivan you can see when he was young age and the teachers was worried you know, this child doesn't even come to school and he has written written so much he has spoken so much and you know um, when you look at the, at a timeline of uh, of his um of his caliphate for example we, we see that you know from um let's say 1919 you know various uh, departments were um, set up and streamlined and in 1922 a majlis shura where a embody is a, a body where people come for discussion or for any decision to be made that was established and then in for example we have in 1924 the wembley conference where um historians gave a magnificent speech which is, which is known as you know the true islam and the foundation stone of the fuzzle mosque um in southfields was laid in 1924 which was um funded by the um ahmadi muslim women's association because that was the very first um um was the exorcery body which were, which was established in 1922 and in 1924 and they uh, they were able to fund a whole a mosque here in london And remember they all come from very uh, very different backgrounds but it was mostly you know a, a people who came from very um, difficult parts but they were able especially the women they were they were able to fund a mosque to be built here in in in, in London and then we look for forward and we see that he's established foreign ahmadi uh, ahmadi mission missions for example for many ahmadi mission missions were opened in foreign countries for example in Mauritius um USA in 1920 West African countries in 1921 Indonesia in 1925 Palestine 1928 and he um has a Mr. Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed may Allah be pleased with him he himself had um, laid the foundation in England of the Fuzzle Mosque um the date was October 19 1924 and then we see many auxiliary organizations were established by him 
For example, the Women's Auxiliary Organization was established in 1922. And then you have, um, for example, the elderly, the Ansarullah, which is known by in 1940. You have the Youth Association, Majlis Khudam Ahmadiyya, for from age 15 to 40 for the, for the for the young boys which was established in 1938 and then you have for the young um, atfal or the young children um, boys from the age 7 to 15 in 1940 and then he as imam sub uh, imam imtiaz mentioned that he proclaimed to be the promised reformer on, on january 18 1944 um, and then over time, uh, for example, in Lahore, uh, in March 12, 1944, um, Ludhiana, March 23, 1944, Delhi, March, um, April uh, 16, 1944, he went there and delivered sermons to yes, that he is the promised reformer, the promised son, who um, the promised Messiah told about. And then, and then we have our second uh, mission or center, which was established in Rabwa, Pakistan, in 1948, September the 20th. You, we can go on yeah, and go on. Yeah. So it's truly remarkable. And Indeed. it only goes to show that it was through the help of Allah the Almighty that he had filled him with such profound knowledge that his 52 years of uh, being caliph is just witness to the remarkable work. Yes. And whether it was to do with religious topic or secular topic, whenever Hazrat Musleh Maud, may Allah be pleased with him, was asked to write or speak about on any to- particular topic, an ocean of verities and insights would like literally just spring forth and it would be to so much knowledge. And on countless occasions it's happened throughout his life that even externals have applauded his speeches and these are all on record as well. And they praised him openly in front of the public eye. And even if you go back and look at various newspapers and uh, published articles, uh, they also testify to this fact. And all this proves that the prophecy of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, was fulfilled with all its grandeur, right? And nonetheless, obviously, we spoke about the sermons and all the books as well. And of course, um, if we look further, um, it, it is our job now um, as Ahmadi Muslims and even as Muslims uh, to, we need to obviously read his works, read his Correct. books, right? And derive as much benefit as we can. Right, because the, those books contain uh, ocean of knowledge. And yeah, um, carry the baton forward and make your use of it. Definitely, yep. So this is um, I'm looking at the time, brother Rashman. At the moment, we have two minutes left, and um, there's so much more we can speak of. For example, the uh, different um, um, schemes which he initiated. Yeah, obviously, you've briefly mentioned yes. the auxiliary organisations. There are different schemes, for example, for the work all different and various missions throughout the world. And I'm just I'm just going through the life of the promise, um, promised reformer, um, and I'm pleased with him, that you know the work he had done. But unfortunately, we are coming to the end to today's show. But before we conclude today's show, I would like to um, thank um, our um, tech department, our producers, and obviously, Brother Nashwan, it's always um, a pleasure presenting with you. Yeah, pleasure is all mine. It's always uh, <laughs> fun to join you. Yes. And obviously, our discussions are just really fun to... And obviously, the topics that we have, yes. they're always interesting and informative. For I hope they are informative for our listeners as well. 
I hope our listeners have gained some insight to why did Yomi Muslihima, the day of the Promised Reformer, mm. is celebrated. It's not because, as you mentioned at the start of the show, it's due to a birthday or some um, people who celebrate a death day, for example. It's, but it actual is the day where a prophecy came into f- f- fulfillment and by the Prophet Messiah, um, which was um, announced in, on the 20th Feb, 1886. Yep, and so today there is no one aside from the followers of the promised Messiah, uh, peace be upon him, who can raise aloft the flag of Islam once again. And um, it is only Islam. So may Allah enable us to spread Islam. And with that, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you.